know what kind of person you are, but I'm a deeply reflective person. I'm always processing, I'm always thinking, I'm always trying to evaluate. That's just my personality. But even if you're not wired that way, endings and beginnings force you to do that. This season in particular has required that we think about our lives more deeply than we usually do. So even if you're not an overprocessor, even if you're not an overthinker, even if you don't like to take stock, this season has demanded that we all do so. And so this Proverbs series has allowed us to do that well, to reflect, to consider everything that God is, everything that we are, and to make decisions in line of that, and to look at the decisions that we've made and assess who we are in light of what's happening, especially because this season has been so identity-shifting, identity-shaking. And so this word today is speaking into identity. Specifically, we're speaking about sexual identity. And I'd like you to think about these two things before we start. By what do you identify? Or put it differently, what do you identify yourself as? And I'm hoping that this question is not finding you in a place where you've never thought about this before. That you think about and consider what is the sum of what makes up my existence? When I'm deciding this is who I am, what makes up that definition? How did you come to that conclusion? But don't worry, if you haven't thought about it, let's go through the journey so that you can think about it now. I've just started and they're already saying so good. Those are my friends. <laughs> so Genesis 1 starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what I like about Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. When we think about our Genesis, when we think about our stories, when we think about our lives, does the beginning start with God? When we trace our origin, when we trace our heritage, our culture, who we are, does it begin with God? So this Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, God is wanting to give us a vision, a purpose statement for the cosmos, right? So in 1 to 25, he's saying, this is my world, I made it, I'm responsible, mine. That's Genesis 1. And if you read it according to the people he was writing it to, that's what it was intended to say, mine. That's what he's saying, mine. He's not giving you a scientific account of something. He's not giving you, he's saying the purpose, the vision, the ordering of this world is mine and created by me. And that's how that text is intended to be read, right? So he's giving definition, he's giving order, and he's giving purpose. He says, this is the order of how it works. This is where it starts. This is where it ends. This is how I've designed it. The world was created and ordered appropriately to function the way that God intended. This is Genesis 1. So when we look at the summary of from 1 to 25, we see these words repeated often. When you see repetition in scripture, take note, right? Because it's one of the, the, the ways that the Bible has been written, the stylistic way that it's been written is that when there's repetition, especially because it's a polemic, it's a poem, there's, in, there's intention behind that. So when he's saying, let there be, let the waters, let the earth, let them, he is creating boundaries. He's ordering it, but he's also creating boundaries. He's saying, let there be day, let there be night, there's a boundary. I'm deciding where it starts, I'm deciding where it ends, and this is how it works perfectly. 
And then it says, God made, God said, God saw, God set, God created. In the beginning, God. And then he says it was good, and then he blessed it. Goodness defined by him, blessing upon what he has decided is good. In the beginning, God. Then we move on to verse 26. And something interesting starts to happen. It says, and let us make man in our image. So it was saying God said, it was saying God let, let there be. But now it says, let us. Introduction of a plurality in the personhood of God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea, over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so if you look there, that, that let us is there again, that our image, our likeness, that male and female coming from the image of God, taking note of these things and what they mean, right? Taking note of this happening before God says, let me make man, Adam, Eve, before he even does that, at the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Right? So what is he doing here in verse 26 and 27? Sorry. He is giving definition to humanity. He's defining this is humanity. He is defining what his image is defined by. And the way that he's defining it, it's saying that somehow the image of God is male and female together. Right? It's expressed in the combination of the two, which means there's something about a male that represents the image of God. There's also something about a female that represents the image of God. Then there's something about the image of God that works perfectly when these two things come together. And so we don't understand exactly how that works, but this is what God is saying. He's saying that there is an important aspect of our physiology that represents who he is. In the image-bearing capacity that we have, our bodies are a part of it. This is important because sometimes as Christians, because we're spirit beings, we think that the spirit is the most important part of who we are. And there's some truth to that, but we are not disembodied spirits. We're not spirits without a body. The body is important, and the fact that it's mentioned in Genesis 1 at the beginning, there is an important part that our body plays. That is, our relationship with God affects our bodies. So you can't separate your spirit from the body. My spirit is okay. I'm good with God in my spirit. No. You can't ignore as you read the biblical text that it matters what we do with our genitals. This is what the Bible says. It's everywhere. It matters what we do with our bodies. It matters how we bear his image with our bodies. I didn't pray. Should I pray now? <laughs> Okay, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. God, I just pray the words of that song, Spirit, come breathe on us. Father, we just pray that in the beginning as you spoke, that you would speak now. Father, that your words would be what are defining who we are, how we decide who we are. Father, that in the beginning, in our beginning, we would see God. Father, we thank you for, you for who you are and what you're saying right now. Father, may these words echo what you're saying right now in every life. And God, may life be found in your words. In Jesus' name, amen. It's never too late to pray. So we were created perfectly, right? That's the whole Genesis 1 story. But then we were broken on arrival. I don't need to tell you that the story that we're living now does not look like Genesis 1. I don't even need to paint a picture for you. You know, 
It's not working as ordered. It's not working as intended. Something broke along the way. I don't need to explain that to you. So Genesis 3 onwards paints this picture of how the created order of God starts to crack. And humanity chooses to believe something about who they are and who God is that is contrary to Genesis 1. And basically humanity starts to doubt God's good intentions towards them. That's what happens in Genesis 3, where you're now doubting the words that God has spoken. You're doubting the order that God had created. And you're thinking, we have a better way. We have a better definition. Something's happening behind me. Sorry. We have a better definition. We have a better order. We have a better way. And with that is an introduction of sin. And now, I don't know how you understand sin, but a lot of people understand sin as the concrete wrong actions that they do. But the way that it is explained in Genesis is that the wrong action that they did, it says sin entered the world. Don't you wonder about that? How the action of one person created something that made sin enter into the world. Don't you wonder when you're doing something at home and you're thinking it's not going to affect anyone, how it affects another person, something wrong. I was actually watching this uh, trailer of a movie on Netflix. I didn't get to watch the movie because then I couldn't find it. Netflix does that thing where it shows trailers. You watch the trailer, then you can't find the movie later when you want it. Anyway, this trailer is really good because it tells you the whole story in the trailer. This guy is being um, blackmailed. He has these technical expertise and skills. And so they say to him, we need you to crack this code. And if you don't crack this code, for every day you're not cracking this code, we're going to kill someone. But they're not telling him who they're going to kill, and they're telling him that the people that he's, they're going to kill are unrelated to him. And so the stress of his life is like, why are you killing strangers for something I'm doing? They don't even have anything to do with this arrangement. And that, for me, captured what I'm trying to say so perfectly. There's this thing that you are doing that is unrelated to anyone else, but it affects people. It affects the world. It affects the cosmos. That is what sin does. It doesn't just break you. It broke something in the whole world. And that understanding of sin is so important, and Christians don't even have it. And, and that's why when we find ourselves in a broken world, we understand how our actions affect each other, but we don't understand how our, affection, our actions affect the whole world, how our sin destroys not just us personally, but the world. But if we understand that when, when, when sin entered the world, it didn't just break relationship, it broke the cosmos and the ordering of how that is meant to work. It gives us a Christian worldview that allows us to engage the world powerfully with a hope, with a better story, within the beginning God, as we journey back to the beginning. So I love this quote um, by a guy called um, David Lomaz. He wrote a book called The Truest Thing About You. Such a great book. So it's up there. It says, you are loved by God, accepted by God, and put in right relationship with God. It's not by your own doing. Or because you have the right family, or because you have the right education, or because you have the right desires or attractions, or because you have the right job. It's because of the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus. Because of that, your life is hidden with Christ, and nothing can take you away from that. You belong to God. If you have placed your trust in Christ, that's who you are. And our call then is to become who we are, to live out the truth of the truest thing about us. There are many true things about you, about what you do, about what you have, about what you desire. But only one thing is the truest. Being regenerated is about becoming who you are. 
So this becoming who you are concept is very interesting. Pastor Carol usually says it like this. We believe the gospel and then we start to live as though it's true. Because the gospel says something about your life that is not yet true when you look at your life. And then you start living out that truth. And so what he's saying, he's saying become who you are, right? He's not saying become something new. He's saying become who you are. What he's saying is go back to the beginning. And then where is the beginning? In the beginning, God. And so what that is saying is that we arrive into environments that are immediately influenced by broken culture. We arrive into environments that are broken. Some of them broke as far as the womb. It's not even the earthly environment. The brokenness extends all the way to the womb at certain times. And that's the place where your body needs to be formed perfectly, ordered perfectly. Sometimes it goes wrong even there. And for some people, this happens as they're being raised, as they're being reared, because they're being reared by broken people in a broken environment. And then you become acquainted with who you are according to people and the environment around you. And that's you learning and absorbing your identity. But I personally had a very different experience, right? I did not resonate with everything that was happening around me. So I grew up in a home, um, I had, my parents were pastors, and we grew up in an environment where certain things were very defined, right? You're either this or you're that. So you're either female and it means this, you're either male and it means this. And so I grew up um, just resenting some of the aspects of what it is to be female that were being presented to me. Because as you can see, I mean, I'm not quiet, right? And <laughs> I'm also not shy, and I don't all the time enjoy dresses. And at church, we used to wear those stockings with the holes, like the cute ones for the ladies, and then they have a little tutu. And it looked adorable, but I hated that whole experience. And then at the same time, I really like sports, and I like adventure, and I like jumping off cliffs, and I like, like adrenaline. And then my mom was looking at me going, oh my God, please, <laughs> stop right and so everything about that was communicating that something's wrong with the way I came and now because of my personality I then pushed back against every definition that anyone had for me so mine was the opposite it wasn't that I was raised in the, no I was raised and feeling different there was a disconnect between what I was told I needed to be and how I felt I wanted to be and so I pushed back and I'm trying to find a definition that suits me and then people are like no this is the one for you you're a tomboy and then I tried that, and then saggy pants. I'm like, I don't like this. And then you must try another one until you, you eventually now doing the work of defining who you are because you're fighting boxes. Yeah. But either way, it's broken. Whether you're doing it yourself or whether other people are doing it for you or whether it went wrong physiologically in the womb, it's a brokenness that is unmatched to the order of God. That's right. And we can at least acknowledge that. And so as I came to the Lord, when I came to the Lord and the Lord, the promise of scripture was that God regenerates you. Even that regeneration for me was a difficult experience because I came into church and now it's the regeneration and I'm looking at the church version of female. I'm like, I also don't want this one. <laughs> I don't want it, right? And so just joining with God and God being like, I, in the beginning, God. I'm the one who's going to decide who you are. I'm the one who's going to define your femininity. I'm the one who's going to define what it is for you to be a wife. Because even that was a huge identity crisis for me. I didn't want to get married because the definitions of marriage was just stressful, right? In society, I'm like, stressful in society can also be stressful in church. I'm like, I don't want any of that. But in the beginning, God. And so God, what are you saying about these things? What are you calling me to be? And I can answer that call. 
That's the call I can answer because he's not asking me to be something else. He's telling me who I already am. And then, therefore, mine is to go, what are the things that I love about who I am? And God is saying they're not. And that's hard, right? Because there's things that I love. Like, I love these things. But God's like, but that's not who you are. Can I tell you who you are? And that's hard. So in Proverbs 31, I used to read Proverbs 31 and be exhausted. I'm like, oh my God, who's that woman? (laughs) She's everywhere, I can't do it, right? But as we read Proverbs and you look at the context in which that scripture was written, and you think about the woman and how they were defined at the time. They had one role, they had one job. And all of a sudden, God is saying, This is a a righteous woman. She is participating in the market. She is feeding her young. She is helping the economy move. She's interested in justice. She is doing everything. She's empowered. So when you read it like that, you're going, hey, God sees me. Right? So we can't identify with who we are not. Right? And who we are not are some of the things either we've learned, either have gone wrong, or happened, we find in society that are a particular way. And here's the thing. All of us do this, right? We have aspects of our identity that we like to identify with. All of us do this. We are not what we have accumulated, although we like to believe that. We are not the sum of our desires. We are not the sum of our passions. We are not our complex biology. We are not our habits. We are not our singlehood or married status or any variation. We are not attached to definitions of femininity or masculinity prescribed by culture. We are children of God. We are who God says we are. We don't get to create definitions that we like. It's already defined. It's already ordered. It's already said. He already spoke it in Genesis 1. So the problem with identity idolatry is that when the thing you have defined yourself by is taken away or is unexpressed, you feel less human. So if you define yourself by your possessions and COVID happens and all of a sudden that's at stake, you have an identity crisis. If you define yourself by your passions and some seasons you can't express all your passions, you understand? Sometimes you have a job that does not allow you to express your passion. And if you find yourself in that environment and you can't express your passion, you feel less human. If you find yourself in an environment where you can't say what you want in the way that you want, all of a sudden you feel like you're in a box. And if that's your definition, you have an identity crisis and you feel like you're not fully human. If you have a desire, a feeling that you can't express in the way that you want to express it, but you define yourself according to that whole experience, you feel less human. And you feel like other people get to be human in the way that they want, and you don't get to be human in the way that you want, because this whole thing of us wanting to express, accumulate, desire, whatever it is, and we idolize it and we worship that, worshiping anything outside of God is idolatry. And that idolatry is what causes identity crisis. You can't define yourself according to anything that God hasn't called us to define ourselves by. So even this term sexual identity is problematic because it's saying that you're deriving your identity from your sexuality. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a term that society is using, but it has no basis in scripture. You can't define your identity by your sex. Do you understand that? So the problem is the identification with idolatry that we all do. 
All of us do it, right? And because all of us do it, then we can't help other people lay down their idols. So who are you to tell people to lay down their idols while you are accommodating your own? Is it because yours are more presentable than others? Is it? Is it because yours are hidden? Is it because yours don't have a physical manifestation that yours are okay for us to keep? And this is why the gospel preached by Christian can sometimes have so much resistance because of the way it's selective sometimes. All forms of idolatry are wrong. All forms of identity idolatry are wrong because at the root of it, it's worshipping something else other than Yahweh. And Yahweh was at the beginning. Yahweh is the creator. Yahweh ordered it. And Yahweh made it so that it's good for human flourishing. So here's the thing. It's good for us to obey and worship Yahweh. It's good for our flourishing, for human flourishing, not just personally, but in society, for the world as a whole. And the cosmos heals when we worship Yahweh according to how he wants to be Yahweh. And we flourish as humanity. In um, 2 Corinthians 5.16, it says, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded, regarded, regard, wow, thank you. Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Jesus reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we oh, nope, are ambassadors of Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If we agree with God and get our definition from God, in all things, we can invite people to do the same. In all things, right? But here's the thing. It starts with agreeing with God about who he says you are, fully, and so, Church of Jesus, have we done that? Like, is God our everything? Like, is he enough for every aspect of our lives in every season, regardless of what's going on? Regardless of whether or not we can express this desire, we can get this passion that we want with all our hearts realized, whether this job and this line of career, these things that you know you were built for are happening in the way that you want to, whether your family is prospering in the way that you wanted to, all of the things that are important for us, whether we're married, whether we're single, is are we a people who are experiencing God in a way that's so full that nothing else matters in comparison to that? Because that's the gospel. And because of that, it's easy to yield. But if that's not our experience of God, these things are very heavy to deal with. Because what it is is that God is bigger, has more, is greater, and more um, satisfying than all of these things. But that has to be our experience. That has to be our experience. And then these other things we can wrestle through. Because they're not easy to. But there's a delight that invites us to die. Because even Jesus didn't want to die. He didn't, but then it says he saw you. Like he saw you and that was his delight. Yeah. 
But he doesn't want to die. He was complaining. He was having a hard time on the earth. He did not express all of his desires. He did not live the life he wanted to live. But there was a greater desire. There was a greater love. There was a greater purpose. And for that, he died. So let's get some wisdom. This is about Proverbs, right? I need to get into the book of Proverbs quickly. <laughs> um, so in, in Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, So above all, guard, your, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. And so we've discussed the ways in which sexuality has both physical and psychological aspects to it, right? It affects our person in a deep way. We've spoken about this, that it's our, it's our gateway to intimacy. And that's why it's important, um, that connection. Connection is something that everybody desires, everybody yearns for. And those things are valid. We can't ignore that. And that we all have broken intimacy. We all have broken intimacy. We all have broken sexuality. It's not a category that is for specific people. All of us have been marred by sin, and all of us need the grace of God to define our sexuality and our sexual experiences and sexual flourishing. God needs to define it. And so we all need to be regenerated. And we are here as a community because we've all said we need to be regenerated. And so this community is for all who need to be regenerated. This is what this community is. We are not a community of people who are perfect. We are a community of people who need to be regenerated. And so this house needs to be a place for anybody who needs regeneration. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And he, fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bodies. There's a slide that I think I skipped that I'd like to read. It says the truths of the gospel support and sustain the commands of the gospel. If we do not first understand the truth about who we are, the truest thing about us, we will be crushed by the weight of the commands. Jesus always tells us who we are before he ever tells us what to do. Because Jesus knows two things about those who will choose to follow him. First, he's asking the impossible. And second, he specializes in making the impossible possible. So we can't impose the commands of Jesus to those who have not agreed to follow him. We are, we are struggling with the weight of the commands. Here, having said yes. So you can't take the weight of the command that people have not agreed to and impose it on them. That doesn't make sense. But you want those people to come and be a part of this regeneration community. But you're imposing commands on them that they have not said yes to. And then how Jesus loved us into repentance. He loved us while we were broken and then invited us into a place of regeneration. So if we start off with, if Jesus had invited you with the command, how would that have been for you? You would have come and running, hey. Yeah, nah. if you would have said, here are all the things that go wrong here and you're doing them, now come. That would have worked perfectly for you. So can you tell me why that's our gospel approach when it comes to this issue? 
Why can it not be okay that people have desires that don't look like yours? Why can that not be okay? Why can it not be okay that people express themselves in a different way? Because we are all broken. So what I'm saying is, why does our brokenness take a hierarchical preference over other people's brokenness? Why? Why? Because maybe we've forgotten that we were broken and that he found us like that and loved us like that and didn't accuse us of our brokenness and didn't judge us for our brokenness, but invited us to be regenerated by him. Only he can do it. Only he can do it. And only he defines what that doing it looks like. We can't decide. So if we keep making decisions about what this community can look like, you know that even single people will struggle to reside in this community. Because you know that just, be, just because the world has over-sexualized sex, it doesn't mean that sex is the highest point of every like human flourishing. It needs to be okay that that's not what the world is about. But we can't even imagine an existence without sex. And that's the world. And so purity culture in the church is one of the idols as well, where marriage is about sex. And if you're not married and you're not having sex, who are you? You're not important. You're 50, 50 and you're not married. What does that mean? Who are you? What does your existence mean? It doesn't matter that you're contributing in society. It doesn't matter that you're doing all these wonderful things. You're not flourishing in this way that we think is important. Can I just say that's absolute nonsense? And if we keep doing that, if we keep doing that, our gospel proclamation will always be compromised. If this community can't look like a people who are different, a people who have decided, you know what? In the way that God has ordered it, I'm attracted to a person of the same sex, and he says I can't get married in the way that he has prescribed it, so I'm not going to get married. But what will that community look like? Do we have space for that? Do we have space for that kind of surrender? Do we have space for that kind of obedience in this community? How can we if we don't have space for singles who are 50? How can we if at Christmas time we're not mindful that, hey, this doesn't look like this for everybody? So if we are a gospel community and we really have said yes to Christ, and yes means abandoning everything that we identify with that is not Christ, it means something for how this community will look. And we can't have these boxes of what success and flourishing look like that are not biblical. Because then we can't invite people into the space. So I'm going to close with this story. So I have a friend of mine who, he's a pastor, and he's probably between 40 and 50, and he, all of his life has had same-sex attraction. That's his story. Um, he's a ordained pastor, so he, like, helped me with the, preparation of this message and so I was asking him I'm like okay so are you what does that mean for you like are you okay with the fact that you're never going to get married are you okay with the fact that like you're never going to be able to express your desires in the way that you want to right because that's tough um and he's like obviously it's a journey and obviously seasons are not the same he's like but I found something in Christ that makes this worth it and I listened to that and I was like do we have space for that in our church? You know what I mean? Do we have space for, for that kind of dialogue, for those kinds of conversations, for those kinds of journeys? Because I don't know how long it took him to get to that place where he's saying that God really is enough. And I am worried about what 60 looks like living like this. I am worried about families that are continuing and mine not. There are real difficulties existing like this. Even as a pastor, can you imagine? Some people are like, hey, sorry, can I not get ministry from you? It's the reality, right? Um, 
but this is how he is expressing his obedience. This is how he's living out his delight in Jesus. And so for me, what I see is in Christ Jesus, there's a hope of glory. There really is something better than just expressing our sexual desires, better than our feelings, better than our emotions. These things are real. It's real that because of sin, some people are struggling to have children. That's real. And that society looks at them a particular way. That's real. They're real difficult things that are happening and we can't minimize those. But we're a broken community that should be able to identify with what it is to trust God to redefine and regenerate us. This should be home for everybody broken. In conclusion. Oh, something's going wrong there. A, a healthy sexual identity flows from a relationship with God. You will not find your identity in what you have, but in who has you. You will not find your identity in what you do, but in what has been done for you. And you will not find your identity in what you desire, but in who has desired a relationship with you. My heart is that we would become better at our witness of the gospel. Our understanding of it, but our witness of it. Our understanding of it, our own idols that need to be dismantled, identity and all other ways. And then once we've done that, we can compassionately help people do the same. Compassionately help people do the same. Uh, the voice of the church in this area is really not great. Othering other communities and not inviting them in. Where this is where the hope of all glory is. People need to be in here. Carol. Give Musa a hand. Don't go, Musa. So great. Pastor Sam, where are you? Sam Makarossi, won't you come up also? Thank you. So as a as a believing community moving towards Christ, we are, we are trusting for every kind of brokenness to be in this, in this environment because we are all there. A thought that came to me as Musa was sharing so brilliantly that, um, that you know, grace, grace means not that God lowers his standard, but that God keeps his standard at the pinnacle of perfection, but that he makes a way for us to meet the standard. And the way he does that is he puts us in a community where his empowering presence is, and we are all on a journey walking towards the identity that he has given us. And so really when we're talking about sexual identity, we are inviting all of us into a journey to find ourselves. We're inviting us all into a, a journey towards Christ of becoming more of who we are meant to be, the man, the woman that God meant you to be. We are going to take some time to... Um, Sam, do you have anything you want to add at the end there? Um, we are going to take some time now. If you want to stay behind and ask questions, we're going to close the service. But if you would like to stay behind and you have any questions, or there, there are issues that, because we know for, for many pers people this is a deeply pers personal issue. You know, it's, it's all very good to hear the theology, but you're still wrestling with stuff. You still have friends that are wrestling with stuff. You still have questions you can't answer. You still have difficulties that you don't, you don't know. There's not a black and white answer for this situation. How do I process this? That we would love to be able to tackle those difficult and um, seemingly convoluted situations and talk through them. We don't have all the answers, but we, we want to journey together towards those answers, finding them as we journey with Christ. So, amen, we're at the end. I feel like I'm just talking for the sake of talking. So we're going to just, we're going to have some worship.
So you can all stand. Thank you, Father. Lord God, we want to thank you that your grace is sufficient for us, Lord God. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord God, we, we so, Father God, we want to thank you that in our weakness you're strong. Lord God, we want to thank you that, that you, you didn't choose us when we had it all together. You chose us when we were broken. And so, Father, I ask that you would, you would come alongside each and every one of us. Lord God, thank you for that giant yes you've said over our lives, how you've invited us in, you've opened the door, and Lord God, we come running. Lord God, and we say, we say yes to you. We surrender all that we are to you. And Father God, we say we trust your destiny, destiny for us. We, we trust your destination for us, Lord God. We trust that as we simply, continuously, unrelentingly, say yes to your gospel, to say yes to your truth, Lord God, that you will lead us into what we are meant to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.